This is Steeler Country, episode 160 for week 5, 2015, when the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the San Diego Chargers 24-20, to recorded October 14th, 2015. I mean, I think it was uh, yeah. it was so sweet because you know you just looking at it from a spectator's perspective, right? If you if you just take a step back and say what do what did the people watching on TV think? Well, they all thought the Steelers are garbage offensively with Vic, and they didn't des- they didn't deserve to win this game. Um, and yet somehow, some way, you know, we found a way. Actually, when I was watching it, what I really thought about. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't when I was watching. It was, it was afterwards. Is I thought to myself, this was a gutsy 2008. This was like a 2008 style win. This was absolutely no offense for the entirety of the game, right until the end of the game when you absolutely had to have offense. Okay, then the offense decides. Boom! Now we're good. We're back, um, and we're moving the football. But everything prior to that was just as bad an offensive performance as you as you could hope. But the defense. Continue to keep us in the game and keep us in the game, and then make big plays and get big turnovers. Um, you know, this was a Mike. Tom, you know, this was you know the old throw. Style. We haven't had a throw style points out the out the window type game in a while, but this was this was quintessential throw style points out the window. Okay, so it was, but when I think of this game, I think of like four big plays. Obviously, the interception for the touchdown, and then the the long pass to uh, Wheaton, seventy two yards. And those are style points right there, right? But then the other two plays are, I think, the, the scramble that Vic had on third and six. Yeah. I can't remember. Were we already in field goal range at that point to tie it? Uh, no, no. He, no, we were right around the 50. He ran about 20 yards. You're in 20, 30 yards, whatever, whatever his run was. He's 24 yards. Yeah, it's from the 50 to the 25. It got us in the field range. That's a huge play. Third and six. I mean, if you get sacked, incomplete pass, it's fourth and six or it's fourth and more. And the game's on the line at that point on a fourth down. But he gets us into field goal range, and that's um, basically, you know, going to at least tie. And then the last one, the fourth biggest play, or the biggest play, is obviously the last play of the game. But that's not really the story of the game, those four big plays. The story of the game was the defense right. keeping this team in the game. That's what really got me in, in listening listening to the coverage of the game afterwards, is how, yeah, people focused on... Really, that that last chunk, right? You know, there was there was whatever it was, twenty seven points scored in the in the fourth quarter by both teams, and that's really what everyone focuses on. But you know, the story of this game was kind of those first three quarters and the Steelers' inability to move the football, but the Chargers' inability to really put us away. Um, and you know, not to say they didn't have chances. I mean, they were moving the football. We had um, the Steelers only had like four three and outs of San Diego in this game. Uh, well, I mean, which I, which is good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but you know what? This was not a dominating defense. This was not like you know the, the Chargers didn't move the football at all, right? Rivers had almost 400 yards passing. Um, you know, he was eating us up with short passes to to Woodhead and Gates. Uh, the Steelers' defense continued to miss tackles. Uh, but what has become, I think, the the identity of this Steeler defense is that it makes big stops at big moments, and when it absolutely must have a stop. Uh, it is getting those stops. And, and I think one of the most underrated big plays of this game, I would put it up there with the four that you mentioned, Mike, is Timmons' block uh, or tip of the pass on that third down that, that forced them to kick the field goal. 
I think that's as a big a play as any in the game. That's true. They, the announcer said Keenan Allen was going to catch that and possibly run for a touchdown. Is that true? I mean, I, you know, I, you couldn't tell on from the angle on TV. You really can't tell. Um, it looked at me like he was covered, but you know, I haven't seen the the coach's angle um, to know for sure. But you know, it, it was one of those things where it seemed like the it was a third and short, third and manageable for them, which they had a lot of third and manageables, um, and. It's, it seemed like that drive was going to continue going, and if you can, and it just felt like if this defense continues to give up first downs, um, you know we're going to be in real, real trouble here because the clock is going to become an issue. Joe, are you still there? Did we lose Joe? He hasn't been. All right, I think we did lose Joe. Let me try to read. I'm here. Oh, you are. Your yeah. mic. Okay. What did you think about the defensive performance? Uh, I thought it was better than anybody gives it credit for because. Um, remember, defense is dependent on offense. They're intertwined. They don't operate in a vacuum independently of each other. Uh, and offense, uh, offense, you know, what's bad. But hold on, hold on, hold on, Joe. You're going to have to say that again. Because I think Mike is. Mike, you getting out of the car now? Yeah, I thought I was on mute. No, you're not on mute. It's all good. Don't worry about it. No, we, I can right, here we go. Back to mute. Okay. All right, Joe, start over. Sorry. Well, your, so first, I, your first your first thing you said was, I think the defense is much better than people give you credit for. Well, the def- this defensive performance, uh, maybe not the defense, you know, the defense, if you just say, oh, this is a great defense. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this defensive performance, this game, this defense, um, the performance is better than, than, than anyone recognizes uh, because you have, you, I always, I always look at defense as a function of offense and vice versa. Um, your defense gives your offenses chances, and 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 the flip side of that is your offense, um, your offense gives your defense a break. Yep. Uh, and this offense didn't give our defense a break, even when our even when this offense was good, even when it was great, it didn't give our our defense a, a break. So the defense was on the field a lot in the first half and the entire second half, uh, and then. Uh, and and God bless uh, Cam Hayward and and Stephon Tuitt. Those guys, they their faces in the last two drives that they were still able to put pressure to bring heat uh, to Rivers. That that is to me that is the definition of a gutsy of a of playing with guts. Um, those guys. So so even when the offense was at its greatest. What happens? The, the defense is on the field for what maybe a 15 play drive or 17 play drive uh, that ends in a, in a touchdown and a go ahead score um, by or maybe the tying score. I don't remember the, that situation. It was late in the game. It was, um, and they went on a long drive. The one you're, yeah, uh, the end, yeah, the end scored, of the game was a long drive that they got a the touchdown. They scored a touchdown, uh, and they took a seven point lead, I believe. Yep. And then um, uh, what happens? The Steelers come on the field. Vic throws a long, long pass to, um, was it Hayward Bay? Was that the one that went to It was Wheaton. Or Wheaton. Um, and Wheaton goes, goes in for the score in one play. Right. In actual time. Thank goodness for commercial breaks, right? Um, the, the defense is off the field for one single play, uh, and a kickoff and then, uh, and a point after. So maybe they get five minutes rest, maybe. And I'm sure they were thankful for that. But, um, uh, so the fact that the defense kept this team in the game, uh, under those circumstances where it was constantly on the field, constantly under pressure in, in a, on a very warm evening in San Diego, having traveled across the country. Um, it, it was a, it was a phenomenal performance by the defense. 
Yeah, I think that Joe, that's another part of this game that's underrated. Is that yeah, is the fact that like the defense is playing so well, but it, you can tell it's getting it, it, by the end of that game when they scored the touchdown, it just kind of felt like look, the defense is gassed. It's over. You know, we didn't score enough points now, so you know we're we're done here. Um, but then when Vic came back and scored the touchdown, you're like, oh wait, hold on, maybe game back on. But then. You know, it's like the defense still, you know, they didn't get any rest there, right? Yes, we, yes, it was, it was actually, you know, it's better than a three and out, but it's the same as a three and out for your defense. Um, in that, you know, you're, you're still, you're still in that situation where they're, you know, they're, they're dog tired. Um, I think a lot of credit has to be given, like you said, to Tewitt and to Hayward. Um, and I think, I think a lot of credit has to be given to, to Keith Butler, man. You know, and especially to not, he, he brought the blitz all night long, and I think what what I'm most impressed by him is he did not be he was not dissuaded by the fact that Rivers seemed to pick apart that defense on very early on the first drive. Right, they went they went all the way down the field um, easily, and they were picking apart the blitz. And Butler was not persuaded at all to stop that blitz. He continued to bring a blitz, to bring a rush, um, and to show blitz, and then back off of that blitz. Right, so it was. You know, we were we were still mixing it up as much as we have been all season. Um, I think you know that kind of pressure, that kind of um, you know, just just generally the off getting offenses to be on the back foot, right? It just it seems like watching the Steel defense for the past couple of years, we haven't we haven't been able to do that. We haven't been able to impose our will on the offense. It's kind of been a defense that's been answering what the offense has been doing, rather than the offense having to match what we're doing. And it seems like with with a Keith Butler defense, what's different about this defense? Is that we are able to to impose our will? We are able, and 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 it's and it starts with those three guys in, up front, but also this linebacking core. I mean, you know, I keep talking about our front seven. Man, oh man, this front seven is tremendous, and it's without it's doing it without Shazier. Um, you know, it's doing it without a dominant pass rusher. You know, James Harrison is still out there for a lot of snaps, um, but it's but it's every one of those guys, all the you know all the seven or eight linebackers that are coming in throughout the game are having real impacts. And Joe, I thought a guy uh, who, who made a real impact in this game is someone who we, you and I, and all of us have been waiting for, and that's Jarvis Jones. For him to make big plays and big moments, he had a huge sack, and then he had you know the the hit on Gordon for the fumble. Um, you know, we between him and Dupree, like we have some. The pass rush is on in Pittsburgh. Blitzburg is back. Well, uh, yeah, for the I mean they've been they have been getting to quarterbacks, and it is. It is very refreshing. A few years ago, uh, we had a good stout defense. It was the Keenan Lewis year. Um, and, and I, I remember telling you guys, I don't know what it is about this defense then, that, that defense. Um, I don't like it. It's boring. Right. Boring. I know, I know it's doing well, but I don't like it. It's got no style. Well, this defense probably is not as good as that defense was, but it's a hell of a lot more exciting. And, and I, and I would pretty much bet, uh, practically everything I own. That if you did a, if you did a poll of the players on the, on this defense, they would say it's a lot more fun to play defense uh, on on in this style than it is in in what we were doing in in that year, which I think was 2011, maybe. Yeah, I think I think that's right. 2011, 2012, one of those two years. Yeah, I, I think you got to give mention to um, Blake who made the interception and and took it all the way. He really needed. To bring that all the way, I, and I think everybody, every every Steeler fan across the country, which pretty much dots every little town in the country, um, was thinking the same thing. Dude, you got to go all the way. You yeah. have to. You have to uh, score. 
I think they were they were also thinking, dude, you have to tuck that ball. And how about like <laughs> sprinting a little bit every now and then instead of jogging into the end zone, <laughs> waving was, the ball around he, like it was, was, uh, he was a very, prize that he just won. Yeah, he was very nonchalant on his way to the end zone. But I mean, you, I don't know. I had a feeling. Uh, I forget there was there was someone. Well, the offensive lineman didn't really seem to care. He didn't want to. He didn't want to tackle uh, Blake, but. There was a guy running down the side, and I think it might have, it was either a wide receiver or maybe it was Danny Woodhead. Um, and I felt like, oh, oh crap, he's going to catch him. But then Dupree kind of doubles back and takes him out of the play. And then I figured, okay, well, that's it. It's over. It's, he's got it. Um, oh, a great, a great return. And it's, you know, something that Mike Tomlin's known for, uh, you know, is coaching that kind of thing, coaching, you know, defense turning into offense um, and making splash play. You know, not, not just a big play with turnover, but the splash play from, uh, Returning it for a touchdown. It was a huge play in the game. It, it, momentum shifted us right back into it. It was it was ten to three at that point, and every Steeler fan's thinking the same thing. I don't know how we're gonna score. I don't know how we're gonna get seven points. It doesn't seem possible right now. Um, and it shifted the momentum back into our favor. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's it, this defense. So much was. I, mean, I know we've said this last week. I know you know. The, if you look at the last three defensive performances that we've had, though, and you, I'm talking about St. Louis, and then. Last week against Baltimore, and now this week against San Diego. My oh my, how wrong everyone was about this defense, and even the secondary. This is a game where Philip Rivers, you know, Mike, you said it last week. Philip Rivers should should go off. This should be a really tough game for the secondary. Um, you know, and it wasn't perfect. Like I said, this defense is not perfect, but in a game in which your offense cannot move the football, you expect that at some point the defense is going to wilt, the defense is going to give up, and it is, and the floodgates are going to open, and that never really happened. It didn't. They did have trouble covering the tight end throughout the game, really. But um, it didn't seem like that Rivers, though, their offense really took over the game. They had a lot of successful plays. He threw for, like, over 300 yards? Yeah, three, it's almost 400. Yeah, 365. So. And that's basically because they had a lot of plays also, a lot of time in possession. Right. right. They killed us. on our, They killed us. And every, every stat in this game is just the Steelers got killed. They killed us on, you know, first downs. They killed us on time of possession. They killed us on total yards. Which is attributed to what a lot of three and outs that we had. Is that true? Yeah, we had a ton. We had a ton. You know, offensively, you know, my, you know, Mike Vick on eleven days versus Mike Vick on three days. I mean, it wasn't. This was not the night and day performance we expected. I did have a, you know, there was a little worry that I had going into this game, which is that Bryant wasn't going to play, um, and I just felt like, man, you know, without without Vick doesn't have, he still is not going to have a safety valve in this game, um, and he, you know, he. he, he I don't know what to attribute Vic's poor play in this game. He just didn't, again, he didn't seem comfortable. He didn't seem like kind of knew where to go with the ball. Um, everything he was throwing was short. Everything he was throwing was underneath. Um, the couple good plays he had in the early in the game were the long one to Heath, where he rolled out and kind of sat back in the pocket, and then the underneath route to Brown, where Brown was just wide open. But other than that, early in the game, it was a real struggle to move the ball when it wasn't handing it to Le'Veon. In fact, I remember a sequence in the game where it went, it was like first and 10, second and six, third and four, you know, and that was run, run, run. Every play was a run in that sequence. And it just felt like, man, if you can't trust Vic to throw any passes in this game, you got to move on or do something because it's it's not going to get any better. And he was, you know, and then Vic was tempting fate a couple times with, with throwing the ball behind guys or, you know, right at defenders. It was a rough go early in this game offensively. So I, I I got the impression that that Vic was 
I think he was under orders, or maybe it was just the game plan in general. Or you know, let's get the ball to Brown. Let's get the ball to Le'Veon. Those are our playmakers. We have to get the ball in their hands no matter what, even if we have to force it. Right. So they fall off to him to Le'Veon more than they should have. And I think they targeted Brown when he wasn't open. Vic was both. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe that's because he couldn't go through a progression, or maybe it's because he was told get the ball to Brown. Um, the other thing is he didn't throw the ball downfield. Um, the first play from scrimmage was a nice pass to Heath Miller for a first down. Right. Uh, and then he never went back. He never targeted Heath until I think the the second to last play of the game. Uh, so, uh, you know, the game opened up when the ball went to Hayward and when it went to, to Wheaton. Um, and when, and when Vic threw the ball over 20 yards. Um, right. And the, and the, you know, for, so for the first, second, third quarters, um, San Diego sat there and said, uh, uh, we, we don't give a damn if you try to throw the ball. We're, we're playing everything up close because we know you want to throw short and we know you want to give the ball to Le'Veon. And that's all we did. And so I'm a little, I'm a little critical of that. Um, you know, uh, I thought uh, it's, it's funny because the Steelers end up winning this game inexplicably. And they end up losing last week inexplicably. And I thought Vic played better last week than he played this week. Yeah, um, I thought the same thing. I was kind of shocked at, at, at the step back he took. This doesn't uh, make any sense. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I, are, they, is a, are they just not? Are they trying to force Vic into a system that he that he that he's not really suited for? Or did they bring him on the team then? Yeah, it definitely felt like I, I thought that was. I mean, I don't know if it was a, a, a somebody not suited for. I felt like it was maybe they were throwing too much at him too fast. You know, it seemed like maybe the offense had opened up too much. I mean, you know, Tomlin talked about at the press conference, like, look, you know, we still can't give Vic the whole playbook. But it's like, man, why not, you know, why not just dumb this thing back down again? Because that wasn't good. Um, on Vic, and then you guys take it over because I'm sure you're going to know more about me. But Vic was at his best when it came down to crunch time, the last drive. Got to get it done. There's no more chances. Okay, so, and so now what happens in crunch time? I mean, I don't know. I've never been in it. But you watch football. You get an impression. My impression is it's kind of like just just throw the playbook out the window. We got to get something done here. It's desperation time. Now that is something Vic, being in the league a dozen years, knows how to do, and he and he did it well. It was like it was like whoa, we had a, we had a yeah we had a, a backup quarterback in there for for three and a half quarters, but then you know when the game was on the line, this guy looks like a twelve year veteran. Yeah, because he is, and because he's done that before, and because that was familiar to him, um, and and all of this other crap that he's doing for three and a half quarters is not familiar to him. He doesn't know it. There could be some of, hey, I gotta, I have to do this quarterback job the way the offense expects me to do it, the way Ben runs it, and I gotta stand in the pocket and go through my reads and throw the ball, and then like you're saying, maybe at the end of the game, he just felt like I gotta do whatever I gotta do to get a first down. And that came down to, you know, running the ball that one time. And the pass to Heath at the goal line, I mean, that's a, that's a risky play too. I mean, he hasn't thrown the ball well the whole game and, right. and we're in field goal range. You could blow it right there. So I, yeah. I don't know what it is that changed. I also don't know, is it the coaching or the play calling that didn't target Heath at all throughout the game, like you said, or had all these short passes or were there plays designed for Heath and designed downfield? that he just wasn't seeing or reading correctly. Yeah, Vic was asked after the game, why didn't you guys throw the ball downfield as much? And, he, you know, I th- he, he talked about the comfort level he has. 
in that press conference. Um, you know, I mean, it, de- it definitely felt like Vic wasn't, you know, it felt like he wasn't comfortable because even the passes where guys were open, he was missing them. I remember the two plays that really stand out to me are the one where he had Wheaton wide open and he missed it and it was almost intercepted. And then the, the, the one that was just completely inexplicable, just weird, was the one where he start, he kind of starts to roll out, but then he decides not to and he, he has Bell wide open over the middle and Bell's going to get a good game. And he just throws it into the ground. Um, it was strange. It was strange. And, and, you know, it seemed like the problem there, um, actually, there was a good, there was a good play also, uh, in the game where, um, he misses, I, I think he misses Wheaton, uh, on a, on a wide open route. And you can see Todd Haley on the, on the sideline just kind of clench his teeth. Like, man, you know, we got, it's going to be so hard to get yards in this game. Like, you got the, the throws that you're going to be comfortable making, you got to make those throws. Um, but, you know, it, and then as the game went on, it just definitely, it definitely felt like the coaching staff, you know, was, was trying to limit his exposure in the game altogether, right? They, they knew, look, Vic is not playing well. We have to, we have to just limit the amount of throws he's going to get. And then it was just, it became like the Le'Veon Bell show. Um, I did like the Wildcat. That they, I love the Wildcat that they brought out. I thought that was a, that was an interesting choice. I didn't expect it, but, um, I thought it was, I thought it was really a nice, addition to the offense, um, and it worked. You know I mean? Hell, it worked on the last play. It was, and it, it was interesting. I was surprised that they ran it with Bell as opposed to with Vic, you know, where mm-hmm. Vic could run it and fake handoffs to Bell or even D'Angelo. But with with uh, Bell running it, it just is interesting that it was successful because, I mean, you're the defense. Are, are you Are you defending the pass at all? Do you think that he can actually throw the ball? And now I'm interested to see if they ever bring it back Maybe Bell does have a throw on him, you know, a roll out and then take a step back and, and throw it to someone who's wide open. Yeah, I think I think that was kind of Tomlin's thing where, where you know, that's like a Tomlin thing, right? You know, uh, you know we're going to run the ball with Le'Veon. We know we're going to run the ball with Le'Veon. It doesn't matter. To us, it's, so, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the play call at the end that's, you know, the quintessential, like, Tomlin thing, right? Which is that I don't care if you know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to do it better than you. Right, and that's the point of having you know that's that's the thing with having Le'Veon on the team is I don't need to trick you to get the ball to Le'Veon. I'm going to give the ball to Le'Veon. You know I'm going to give the ball to Le'Veon, and let's just see what happens, right? And uh, you know, in, in a game in which Michael Vick could not throw the ball until those last two possessions, Mike, Michael Vick couldn't complete a pass. Le'Veon Bell had 100 yards, and he seemingly did it easily. Well, the Wildcat at the end, uh, I, I think I guess it is obvious, and I think it. I don't know. It's a, it's like an extension of of the the end the mentality at the end of the game last week, which is you know we have to we have to play to win the game. Yeah. And and you know there was a lot of criticism, myself included. Um, you know you know you don't have a kicker, so play to win the game, make the first down. Um, so at the end of the game, you give the ball to Le'Veon the Wildcat, and he goes he goes um. We got, we got a phone ringing in the background. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, it's all good. Live uh, so podcast. He, get, he gets the ball in, in short order rather than having to take that handoff. And given the closeness, given the narrow margin of success on that play, if if you have to snap the ball to Vic and then hand the ball to Le'Veon, the defense maybe advances further behind the line and, and he gets stopped. Um, so maybe the Wildcat, you know, and, the, and getting the ball into his hand quicker and letting him letting him get going quicker is the is the difference between – Failure and success. 
I, I, I think that that's what, that's what Tomlin was saying is like, you know, you don't need to have Vic there to hand it off because every single person in the stadium knows we're giving the ball to Bell, so it doesn't matter. I love, and by the way, let's talk about that last call, uh, the, the decision to go for it there at the end. Um, you know, everybody's talking about how ballsy it was and how, uh, you know, this is such a crazy thing for Tomlin to do. Um, I, I, I loved it. You know, when, when, when Heath goes down at the one yard line and they immediately call the penalty, and so we get to keep our timeout. I, I, there was not a single part of me that thought kick the field goal. Every I, I immediately screamed out, "Go for it! Go for it!" I'm in a bar, you know, I'm in a bar for our people, so I'm nuts. But uh, you know, I'm screaming, "Go for it!" And everyone around me is agreeing, right? And every Steeler fan is agreeing. Yes, we should go for it here. Give the ball to Le'Veon. Um, it just seemed like the obvious choice at that part of the game. I get the national media not understanding because the game was on late. They didn't watch it. They didn't see how bad Vic played. Um, you just see those last couple of plays, and you go, "Oh, why would you? Why wouldn't you want to go to overtime? Why not just kick the field goal? It seems so obvious." Um, but I think to those of us watching the game, Steeler fans, that was this is you know, yes, if I have the ball at the one yard line, I, you, you have two options. One, you get the ball to Le'Veon, and you win or lose on, on he, whether or not he can get one yard, or you go to overtime with that offense. See what happens. It, it seemed like a no brainer. Yeah, even if they had no timeout, I would still agree with. Uh running it from the one or, or, yeah, giving it to Le'Veon at the one. I think you have a better chance of winning at that point than going to overtime and taking your chances against Phillip Rivers when you can't even move the ball. But with the timeout, I didn't think it was such a gutsy call that everyone's saying because I really think that you should be able to run that play in less than five seconds and call timeout. Now, granted, Le'Veon took longer than anyone wanted him to right. take. And did you, did you see Ben on the sideline telling him, don't, you can't dance, don't dance, because we only have five seconds. Did he? Yeah, he kept telling him I, that. I, yeah, and, and that's true. And, however, after he got in and uh, and he scored, I didn't see anyone on the Steelers calling timeout just in case he didn't score. I mean, someone should have been. <laughs> but but then, now, and it looked like time ran out, yeah. and maybe it really did, but you could pause that play when at least there's one angle where you can't see Le'Veon, but you think he's in the end zone because the Steelers' hands are up. Mm-hmm. If you pause it, there's two seconds left on the clock. So I have to believe that they would have gave him one second. Uh, okay, so if they, it was reviewed and not and not called a touchdown, it couldn't. Uh, you they couldn't it, put time back on the clock is what would have been ruled. Uh, because not by review, up. right? You you can't review time. Yeah, but they, a lot of times guys get the referees get together and say add one second to the clock. Right. No, the the, the you, uh, according to Mike Pereira, that game would have ended if he if he didn't get in, because there was no seconds on the clock at the end. Uh, if they would have been ruled down by contact, there the game would have been over. You know, I mean, and then that would have been crazy. Obviously, then it would have been a you know bad call, and then Le'Veon would have taken a big hit because it's like you had to you had to make that run within four seconds so we can call timeout. Yeah, but I think that that shows what a what a natural instinctive runner he is. You see, you know, he's being told, don't dance, don't dance, don't dance. Okay, fine, don't dance. But guess what? I'm Le'Veon Bell, and I know how to play running back, and I'm not, he's not out there thinking, right? He's out there just doing what comes natural to him. And that's what makes him a great runner. Uh, and that's why he, that's, ultimately, that's why he scored and he didn't get stopped in the back. back yeah, and starting from the shotgun like that, it gave him an extra second to, like he always does, he's patient. He right. looks at the blocks and right. reads them and, and bursts through them. Right, because any, any other running back, most other running backs, when you get hit, when the guard gets pushed back like that, and there is no obvious hole, you are stopped in the backfield, and you know you're calling timeout. Hopefully, in enough time to kick that field goal, but not Le'Veon. Le'Veon found his way through. 
Okay, so obviously I agreed with the with the go for it, and and I didn't for a second. Uh, I didn't for a second want a field goal. I wasn't sure what we were going to do, um, and it is it is ultimately what pissed me off so bad last week is that you know we knew we didn't have a field goal kicker and we played for a field goal and ultimately lost the game because of that instead of saying look make the damn first down here and and put the game away um, and so so had the Steelers had he not made it and had the Steelers lost the game I, I felt like. Five seconds wasn't enough time to run a ground play like that and call timeout. It would take a miracle um, to do that. So I felt like it was you either make it here or you lose the game. Um, and I was good with that because I felt like if it went to overtime, there's a 99% chance the Steelers are going home losers. Um, just like I felt last week, uh, if, the, if I knew if the Ravens game went to overtime, the Steelers are going to lose that game. Uh, and and so uh, I, I think – I. Yes, it was gutsy, and I'm so happy that that he made that call. And I don't think there's a lot of coaches in the league that make that call. Uh, and and um, uh, I hope he continues to do it, play to win the games. Uh, that being said, um, I just kind of segued into the field goal kicker. Uh, I expect that um, when the Steelers return home to Heinz Field uh, this week, this coming weekend, uh, that our new uh, what's his name Boswell Boswell new Boswell kicker. Um, when he comes on the field, uh, you may see a standing ovation at Heinz Field. You may actually see it for a kicker. It might be the first time. I, I don't know. Gary Anderson may have gotten standing ovations. I don't know, uh, being that he followed Matt Barr, um, the worst kicker in history. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know watching watching uh, at the Steeler Bar, I watched that. It was a uh, roarous ovation when that the forty-seven yarder went through. And that was a sweet kick. That looked like it was easy, down the middle, no problem. Nothing, nothing to but, it. But here's the thing. His two extra points were kind of inside the right post. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah, they were. He kicked some stuff that was, that was a little too far right, you know, for, for, for my liking. A little too far. Is that where we are with kicking now? Is we're, we're going to break it down like how, but how down the middle was now, it? I'll tell you, really? let, me, let me just, let me just explain. If you think Scobie was a bad kicker, you suffered with him for two weeks, okay? Or was it three weeks? I don't know. You suffered with him for two or three weeks, okay? I don't know how long we no, suffered. four with, weeks. We suffered with Matt Barr for at least a season, maybe more than a season, and he sucked. He was the worst kicker in history. That this guy got a long career uh, uh, kicking for the Raiders and whoever else he kicked for, and he kicked for the Browns, too. Um, it, it, it's a travesty. The guy should have been unemployed as far as football was concerned. Um, so, uh, I appreciate good kickers. Um, and, and yeah, I'm probably more critical, um, of kickers than I should be given that, given the Steelers history with kickers. Uh, and all I'm saying is when the guy put those up, I agree 100% with Mike. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that thing going to, going to hook outside? Uh, and, and we're going to miss this point here. What's going on? So, um, he put them through. Hey, I started thinking about that a little more because you guys brought it up last week and you said that these kickers have, they got, you know, mind games going on now because this extra point's a little further and they're having trouble with it, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought about it a little more and maybe it's because the ball's right in the center of the field on that. Is that true? Yeah. And so a lot of times... They can pick the hash. They can actually pick where they want it. Oh, they can. They can pick where they want it. Maybe that's not it. Maybe they're picking the center. I don't know. I was thinking, I started thinking like maybe the center is... Oh, it's not as tough good. for them for some reason. Yeah, yeah maybe they're like especially a hash. with the you know with slice the it a little or hook it a little. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, well, you know, kickers are so weird about where, yeah, where they want the ball. I mean, you know, you see them like on, on the end of games where you know, guys are diving for a certain hash or whatever when they set up because the kicker needs it at a certain angle. Uh, but no, they are able to. Kickers are able to put the ball where they want it. You know, they line up um, every week, kickers, for a certain number of pressure plays, right? I mean, quarterbacks have pressure plays pretty much the whole game. They've got to be on, right? Receivers, they got to go up, you know, in the ball when they're targeted. Uh, running backs, you know, if they have pressure plays, sometimes they do on, like Le'Veon did on the goal line and, and you know, on short yardage stuff. Um, but kickers have a certain number of pressure plays, right? We still talking about kickers? Trying to get, well, I'm trying to get Joe back on because it was. I'm back. Yeah, no, it's my fault. No, it's not. It's Skype's fault. No, it's not. Skype. Skype's pretty good for the most part. My internet died altogether. My internet went down. At least uh, stop streaming for a second. Three thousand megabit thing you pay for? You know, <clears throat> even the best, even the best go down sometimes. You better get some money refunded for that crap. The two seconds it was down? Yeah, I know. I missed probably like four bucks. They should prorate that. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I pay, I pay uh, enough for cable that it. Okay, so look, it's available for you for, you know, 30 days a month, whatever, but you only use it a certain amount of time a month, right? So hey, when I need it up, it needs to be up. True. True fact. True fact. So, alright, anyway. uh, Alright. So kickers, so awkward. So awkward segue into you're talking about pressure kicks. Pressure kicks. kick, right? Everybody has pressure plays. Different players have a certain number. Well, kickers, you know, maybe they kick three field goals on average a game that are you know twenty yards or longer, and there's a certain amount of pressure involved in that, right? Because you get so, but an extra point, the old style. If you kick in a, 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 extra, a field goal or extra point from where where the yard the yard line is is inside the ten. And so your kick is is twenty yards or less, maybe right, uh, or right about twenty yards. That's not a pressure kick. That's just like bam, I kick it. It's not. It's automatic, ninety nine percent of the time or whatever it goes through. Um, so that, those aren't pressure. Points. I think that the, the kickers are under twice as much pressure now as they used to be because they don't get those freebies anymore. They're out there and they got to kick an extra point. It's a pressure kick. It's a forty yard or whatever it is. Um, and uh, and and I uh, it is it's a it's a mind game it is it is absolutely a mind game um, it it'd be I don't know what it, what you liken it to maybe a golfer that you just keep putting him in the sand trap got a chip shot to every how green. about this how about like I mean we've all played uh, horse and basketball right you know when the guy in front of you does a layup you're like oh yeah that's easy but do you make the layup every time you're not a basketball player that's a bad analogy no I think I actually think uh, layup. I think well, the guys make the layups, then you go. Usually, you can make it, right? But if a guy makes a nice long shot, right now you're under pressure. You got a pressure shot. Uh, I, I think it's that, I, you, and you, you know, you, it it just starts to mess with your head. I think that's, and I think that's where kickers are right now. Where it is, you know, it is. We're in that messing with their head phase where they haven't really figured out how, how best to uh, approach this. You know, where every kick that they take, there are no gimmies for kickers anymore, right? The 33-yarder can be missed, is missed, will be missed. Every kicker is going to miss it. Here you go. Here you go. This is it. Quarterback under twice as much pressure, right? They get frazzled. They don't read as well. They get happy feet. They start They start throwing the ball away because they hear footsteps. They make bad decisions, all that stuff. That's what's going on with kickers. It's like they're getting blitzed and they're getting pressure 
twice as often in the game, like a quarterback, right? And 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 that's what happens. So the same thing with a quarterback's head, except the quarterback didn't slam to the ground and and stuff when they're actually under pressure. But um, but yeah, they don't perform as well. I, and I think I think certain kickers are not going to perform as well because because they're they're uh, the amount of the amount of pressure that they're under in the game is significantly higher than it's ever been. I think I brought it up, but we're definitely spending too much time on this kicking stuff, aren't we? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, so let me transition to oh, not the return. Based on the losing to the Ravens well, that's a week true. ago based on kicking, and the Ravens this week would sit at 0-5 if I the know. Steelers had a kicker last week. If this kid, uh, Boswell, were, were brought to the Steelers a week earlier, the Ravens are sitting at 0-5 and, and the Steelers hey. are sitting at 4-1. Maybe maybe this year we lose to the worst team in the league again, like we did last year to the Bucks. Maybe the Ravens turn out to be the worst team with the worst record. But transitioning, how about uh, Dre Archer taking a kick eight yards deep in the end zone, and having a good return from that? And it seemed like he was being told, yeah, or and he's probably being told that that hey, you know, this is a chance to score a touchdown if we can actually break one. So just take it. Right. What do you think? Hey, the coaching staff has confidence in him to tell him to come out of the end zone, take that kick. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, that's two weeks in a row now that he's had legitimately good kick returns. And Tomlin brought it up in his press conference. He said, look, they're always pointing up for Archer, man. He's, you know, and he said something like he's starting to do things um, technically sound. He's starting to be more technically sound or something like that with Archer, you know, which made it sound like and – he, and, and he had intimated this last week or last year when he talked about Archer, which he, which he said Archer has to learn that it's not all about being fast in the NFL. Um, and now, here we are, a year later, and I really thought Archer was going to get cut today. I thought we were going on the podcast and saying, guess what, guys? Archer got cut, and Bryant's back on the team. They didn't cut Archer. They cut a special teamer in Ross Ventrone, um, who – and we already have – and he's also a safety on the team. And we have safety injuries now with Will Allen being hurt um, for probably an extended period of time. So it's – it's. I think it is – I think my internet just died again, which would be exciting. Really? Garbage. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to edit this one. I might just leave all of it in. They can understand, you know. This is Bright House Networks, in case anyone lives in the Southeast. Thank you, Bright House, for making this podcast recording really easy for me. Oh, it's not just Bright House, right? Yeah. Oh, it's the top-of-the-line Mac Daddy Bright House. Oh, yeah, no, this isn't just any Bright House. No, 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 this is your top-of-the-line. Yeah, it's, it's like more expensive Internet service than you can buy right. in a regular neighborhood. Right. It's like, look, you can have two things. You have really fast internet, you got a car payment. Which one do you want? And I chose really fast internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Bright House. Uh, okay, so as I was saying before, I was so rudely interrupted by my cable service. Um, I think it, I think it says something about Drew Archer and where he is on his on this team and where he you know where he sits uh, that the coaching staff has so much faith in him now and just and all he does is return kicks. He really doesn't have a place in the offense. Um, and he's, he's even going to have even less now that Bryant's back. Uh, yet the coaching staff keeps him in there because they believe in him now as a kick returner. I think it's awesome. And I think, and I hope we see him more and more. Um, you know, it's just a, for him, it's kind of crappy because, you know, you don't have the Devin Hester's of the world, the Dante Hall's of the world, you know, they were kind of legislated out of the game with the new kickoff rule. So he's not going to get the opportunities that those guys used to get. Um, but hopefully, you know, we could use an explosive kick returner on those rare occasions when we do get to return one because, you know, especially until Ben comes back, starting field position is a real 
is a real thing. And as long as we're talking about special teams, we should talk about the poor special teams play that we had this week. And, and I'm talking about the penalties. Um, it just seemed like every punt return we had was, you know, blocking the back, blocking the back, blocking out of bounds, block, you know, some stupid play, play by different guys. It wasn't the same guy every every time. It was different guys. But, my God, like in a game where offensively we're struggling so much, the last thing we need is a stupid penalty like blocking in the back on a punt. Yeah, it was happening so much at that point. It's almost like don't do anything. Just let them punt the ball and let it land. Right. Don't even try to block anyone. But Tom was pretty pissed at that at the press conference, so I don't expect to see that in the future. No, he had a great quote, which is like, you know, we're either going to find out, you know, what's, we're gonna either going to figure something out or we're going to figure it out with different people. So, yeah, he was he was upset for sure. Well, it was ridiculous. <laughs> it really was. You're exactly right. I mean, you know, the one thing we had going, I don't know how this worked out like this, but for the entire first half, San Diego seemed to have just absolute abysmal field position, right? I mean, our punter was killing it. They were starting on the five-yard line every time. That's true. And yeah. It's like, whoa, man. You know, so, yeah, that's how that's how you guys were talking earlier. How did, how did Rivers get, you know, 400 yards? Of course, you know, all that, I'm, I'm like melancholy. I, like, you know, mind-drugged myself out of that game, so I wouldn't be so uh, pissed off. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's how he got so many yards. He'd make two or three first downs and punt the ball. And uh, I, I don't know how we kept that feel. I, I guess – you're saying it's the, the punter because we didn't move the ball very well to get it back to where the you know so we must have we must have started with okay field position even though um, we had uh, we had all those penalties. Um, yeah, and I think well that goes to the offensive moving the ball, which is that you know it wasn't like we, we didn't get it wasn't like we went three and out the entire first half. You know we went six and out right. It was like we would get a little bit of yards, we get one first down, but then it just you know it just seemed like if it was ever third and eight, just forget about it. Well, there was one big return that Brown had, yeah, and it was called back. But I think that one, I don't know that he makes it because the block in the back happened right. and turned the corner. Right. Um, so it's hard to say whether he would have made that corner or not. How do you think Brown's feeling? I gotta, I gotta feel, I gotta believe he's definitely frustrated. He, right? he is. He, he actually, the, you know, he talked to the media today, which I wish he wouldn't have done, because uh, he did say he thinks that Mike Vick is being too conservative and he, he needs to trust, he needs to trust him more. He said, yeah. you know, he's complaining he's not getting the ball enough. You know, he's doing wide receiver stuff. Right. He's like, look, I don't think I got the ball enough, but, you know, I'm staying positive. Um, he said, obviously, my guy's not a quarterback. So with Mike Vick out there, I just think he's going to play conservative to make sure that we get the win and he's not going to take too many shots or try to do the extra. He's going to stick to the script and do the best he can. Um, and then he, when he was asked if he should get uh, involved more, he said, I don't know, man. As long as we win, that's what it's all about. You know, obviously, I want to get the ball and I need and help the team win. And that's always my passion, but some, some things are out of my control. All I can do is go out there and play the game the way it's supposed to be played. Um, I mean, that doesn't sound too bad, but I gotta believe that, you know, any star player, I mean, you've been carrying the team for the most part, and Le'Veon's there also, and you're kind of sharing that role as one of the star players. And without Ben, Le'Veon can still do his thing, but you can't. And it almost makes it look like, gee, the only reason I'm good is because Ben's in, and when Ben's not in, then I'm not good. But you can't feel that way. I don't think he does. I just I, – I don't mind his quote. I think his quote's fine. And I just hope that – the other thing is he is great. You know, if, if it can get him the ball short, he can run for 20 yards after a catch. Yeah, I mean, we, we saw that this week. He caught a little six-yard pass over the middle 
and went, you know, he took that thing for whatever it was, 30 yards. I think he only had two catches in this game, right? There was a, I think there was a third down where Vic tried to hit Wheaton on an out, and it was off, and uh, Antonio was running, like, underneath that, like, right at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. or maybe two yards downfield, and it was, like, third and four. Yeah. And he was frustrated that he didn't give, give him the ball because he figured he could catch it and run for the first down. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what, what AB is saying there, you know, the, the whole, you know, he's playing within the game plan, not, not trying to do too much, you know, trying to stay conservative. You know, that is a big worry that I think a lot of Steeler fans have, and the coaching staff clearly has it too, which is that, you know, just don't turn the ball over, right? Do not, the worst thing that could happen, the incomplete passes, and we saw it in this game, right? The incomplete passes, the, the inability to move the football, it hurts, it's terrible, it sucks. But you can overcome that if you can just put together a drive or two here and there. But when when it compounds itself, when it becomes even worse, is when you can't move the football and you start turning it over. And we haven't crossed that bridge yet, right? We again in this game we did not in on, in meaningful downs we did not turn the ball over. And Vic is definitely not pressing. Like he's not trying to do too much in the pocket. Basically, he drops back and he throws it where he looks little. You don't see him running around like a chicken with his head cut off, and that's where he would get in trouble and fumble, right? Right. So he hasn't done a lot of that. The thing that I think he's most comfortable with is rolling out and throwing it like he did the long pass. Right. And I'm surprised that they don't have more design plays like that. It, it is, you know, it was one of those things where... Um, I know it cuts half the field, but still. Yeah, well, you know, they, they said that after the game, you know, after the game was like, um, you know, how Ben called the, the play to Wheaton. Um, you know, and I think Ben, you know, it's one of those things where Ben has that perspective from the sideline where... Uh, you know, he sees what's happening. He sees why Vic is struggling. And yeah, I think you're right. I think, and I think Ben said it after the game, which is like, look, I knew, I know Vic likes to, to roll out. So I wanted to get him on a rollout play. Um, and I wanted him to throw deep, right? Because we needed a big play. And it was, you know, it ended up being the perfect call at the perfect time. And it's cool that it came from Ben. Um, hey, speaking of that play, that. Joe mentioned it earlier about Blake making it into the end zone. That play also, I mean, Wheaton has to get in the end zone. If he gets tackled at the 20, Right. Who knows? It could end up being a field goal or a missed field goal. But my, I mean, I'll tell you what. That one was. I, I, I there was never a second in my mind where I thought he was going to get tackled because, my goodness, he was he broke away and then made a move on the. I mean, he didn't really have to make a move on the safety because the safety was caught flat footed. I mean, he just it was gone. He was gone. It's an easy, it's well, the easiest uh, seventy two yeah. yards we've had all year. I'm just glad the safety was flat footed yeah, and yeah, didn't yeah. tackle. Yeah, I mean, the, they spent two and a half quarters to that point not throwing the ball downfield. Right. I mean, the safeties and the, they were, they were conditioned that when, when Wheaton makes the move, right? It's like, no, he's, st- he's cutting this route off here. He's not going any further. He's coming back for the ball because they're going to throw it short. Mm-hmm. That's what they've been doing all night. And it was a double move that got him. Yep. And so they, I mean, it, you almost can't blame the San Diego defender, the corner, because uh, I mean, what are the odds he's going to take off and then they're going to throw it to him? It's, not, it's like none. Well, yeah. those guys were salivating to intercept a pass because they had their hands on a couple. Oh yeah, they had a lot of. There were a lot of weak, weak throws there. I got, I got to think that you know, Vic, Vic will would improve over time. He would get more comfortable with all of this, um, but you know, he's not going to have enough time to do that. Uh, that's okay because that's leads into the next thing I want to talk about, right. which is that. Ben Roethlisberger practice today. They were record, recording this on Wednesday. Uh, Roethlisberger, you know, they they said last week he jogged, and, and you know, I made the joke like, if you can jog, you can play. And then they said the other day, you know, before the game, he was like warming up and you know throwing the ball. I'm like, all right, you know, hey, if he can throw, like if he can step off that back foot, we're all good here. Uh, well, today 
He did. He did, and I, I was shocked when I read this today. But he participated in seven on seven today. Now it's not in pads. This is just you know, uh, he's with the scout team, and he's just you know in t-shirt and shorts. But but, and I'm not saying he's going to play this week. But the the rumors of him coming back against uh Arizona, or against Kansas City. I mean, unless he has a setback here, we are we're not looking at four to six weeks. We're looking at three weeks, and then he's back. Yeah, I think Kansas City would be perfect. I think it's, I think this week would be too soon just because he's probably not ready. And then you're playing Arizona, who's got a good defense and you could get re-injured in that case. Uh, I think Kansas City is a good warm-up game for Cincinnati, right? It's a, it's a perfect game because it's a, it's a, you know, it's almost a get healthy game. I mean, Kansas City's terrible. They have no Jamal Charles. They, they can't, they can't move. They already couldn't move the ball offensively. They can't score touchdowns. Now they have no Jamal Charles. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's a perfect game. Go in there, beat up on Kansas City, get ready for Cincinnati, warm-up game. Um, and, yeah, Cincinnati's running away with the division right now. I think with two losses already, you know, Cincinnati probably runs away with it anyway, especially if we lose this week to Arizona. Now we're going to have three losses. Um, but, yeah, I think two weeks from now is the – or a week from now, perfect time to get Ben back. But we're going to have to have Vic for one more week, which means uh, we're going to play the Arizona Cardinals with a uh, a Mike Vic-led offense. Um, someone – I need one of you guys to to to, uh, to talk me into how, how this – I know you're both going to predict us to win. So I guess my question would be how. Well, just like you saw it, I mean, the, you know, the Steelers have the, – the Steelers have a long history of playing defense, keeping it close. And having a lackluster offense. I mean, well, it's not that many years back. All you got to do is go the the era preceding Ben was a bunch of great teams without a quarterback or you know in an offense. I mean, um, that's what they were. You know, if you stop Jerome Bettis, you win. Yeah. Uh, so the Steelers would always keep it close, keep it close, and you know, rattle quarterbacks, get turnovers, give the offense a short field, so it could put some points on the board. Um, and that's exactly what this, the last three weeks have been. Um, you know, Ben went out of the game against the Rams. The offense wasn't doing that great before he went out anyway, but he went really early in that game. Um, and the defense, defense holds the Rams out of the end zone. Um, defense played a terrific game against, um, against the Ravens, uh, and kept the Steelers in it. Uh, and really the Steelers should have won that game. Uh, and, and then, the, exactly the, the the only way you can explain what happened in San Diego is you say the defense kept us in the game and and you know I mean I watched so many football games you know just as a spectator and you see one team just just outperforming the other team in the first half and you get to halftime and the score is 10 to 3 or something and you go you know one lucky play and this team that's 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 been manhandled for an entire half of a football game is right back in it. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly what took place in San Diego. Exactly. And you credit the defense for that in this case. I mean, you know, it's not always, that's not always the reason. Um, but in this case, absolutely credit the defense. And then, and then I do, I, I think to just credit the defense alone is not fair. You have to credit. I said it earlier. You have to credit Vic's experience when when the with, with the game on the line, he became a different quarterback. He was not he was not ineffective. 
He was not the, the person who didn't know where to go with the ball and couldn't find open guys. Right. He has an instinct about how to play football under pressure at the end of a football game. That is a phenomenal asset to have um, in your backup quarterback, of all things. Um, and uh, so I'll get to how, how we can beat. But that that is that's the formula, and that's how it's going to be. Um, against uh, until Ben comes back. That's how the Steelers win every game until the until Ben comes back. Okay, so this game, uh, who who has a better offense, the Chargers, or how much better uh, is the Cardinals' offense than the Chargers? Is it a lot better or just a little better? And I would say it's marginal. I mean, it's 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 more than a little bit, but not not hugely. It's not like a totally different offense. It's better. Okay. So, I mean, we basically, we did a, the defense did a good job against San Diego's offense. Great job. For the most part. I mean, other than 300 yards passing, but like we said, there was a lot of time possession there. So you gotta think that. A lot of points. Yeah, not a lot of points. And especially they came out, they came out with a five play touchdown drive on the first drive, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that happens, you think like this game's gonna be 50 to nothing, but sometimes you see that happen and, uh, Teams never do that again throughout the game, so that's what I was hoping when that happened. It was like, you know, this is kind of a, one a mirage. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think that the defense can continue putting that same pressure, and and look what they've been doing with Butler. You said it earlier. I mean, we're really putting a lot of pressure on all the quarterbacks that they've been playing between Flacco, Rivers, and and even the Rams quarterback. Yeah. Uh, who was it, Nick Foles? Nick Foles. So you got to believe they're going to do it to Carson Palmer, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and really he, you know, he, and, but, but he's not that elusive either. So once you start getting in his face, and man, Cam Hayward and Tuit, um, especially Hayward, the bull rush right up the middle into the, pushing guys into the quarterback. I mean, that's amazing. So hopefully that'll happen. And then here's the other factor. I mean, how much does Tomlin and our coaching staff know how to defend the Bruce Arians offense? They should. I mean, is that, is that a factor in any way? I, I, I think they lived it. Yeah, I think it probably is. Um, but at the same token, I think you know Arians has a you know he has a, a feeling for, and he you know he talked about this this, this week is like look this is very clearly now not you know you're starting to see a not Dick LeBeau so this is the Mike Tomlin this is the you know I'm starting to see Mike Tomlin in this. Um, so I think there's familiarity on both ends. You know clearly Arians is going to have the revenge factor, which we know. He's going to want to come out. He wants to kill us. You know, he wants to prove that he shouldn't have been fired and whatever. Um, you know, we have a lot of things. There's a lot, I think for us, I think there's more going against us than we have going for us. Um, you know, we have, we have a couple of things going for us, right? Yes, we should know Arians' offense. We should better at home than we are on the road. We were better on the, at home against, um, against Baltimore when Vic was better. The other thing is, uh, I think that uh, Vic, you know, I, I think with with two games now under Vic, I think the coaching staff should have much more, uh, easier time game planning around Vic because now they can kind of see where he's, you know, what he struggled with, why he struggled with that, and then you know, kind of cater a game plan now with two games to be okay. Let's get Vic a couple more comfortable plays here. Um, you know, I think that those things are definitely helpful. The problem here is that. You know, this seems like the, it's kind of a buzzsaw game, right? Arizona would be a tough game if we had been. Um, the the passes that Vic threw against the Chargers where you went, holy crap, Vic, what are you doing, right? The passes that were 
just a little, you know, a little inside, a little outside, but defenders had chances to make plays. San Diego's defense didn't make those plays. Cool. But their defense is terrible, and we knew that going into the game. Arizona's defense, on the other hand, they are the most optimi- uh, opportunistic um, team in, in football. Uh, they will make you pay. They constantly make you pay. They have the best cornerbacks. They have the best safeties. Um, you know, they, they are up there with, with Seattle as far as, you know, that, that ability to, to make big plays happen on defense. Um, you know, where Vic's not going to, you know, Vic has to play a perfect game. He has to. He has to play another perfect game. Um, but it has to be even better than it was against San Diego as far as not turning the ball over. Uh, and it has to be better than it was against Baltimore, right? He has to play flawless. And I, and I just, you know, are we going to get three flawless games out of Michael Vick? Are we going to get three games where he he doesn't throw an, a real interception, he doesn't fumble, uh, he doesn't turn the ball over at all? I would love to see it, and I'd love to say yes, but I just, you know, I can't. On the other side of the ball, look, I, I think we should be able to shut down Arizona. I think we should be able to get to him. Um, but they have, you know, they have a lot of playmakers. They have a lot of explosive playmakers. They have Andre Ellington, Chris Johnson, John Brown, Larry Fitzgerald. Um, you know, they and Carson Palmer is playing like he's 26 years old. Uh, they're lighting people up. They're putting 40 on everybody. So it's, you know, it's this is this is the toughest test we faced we faced on both sides of the ball. And like I said, this would be a tough game if we're if it were with Ben, but it's not. It's with Vic. Um, so I think we have a really tall t- test ahead. I, I really think. You know, this is a game where I can, I'm, I'm tempted to just say, you know what, you can throw this one out. It doesn't matter. But we're going to lose this game, and that's fine. But, we, you know, we got our win against the Chargers. You needed to come out of that game with a win. You should have beat the Ravens, but you didn't, whatever. But the, the point here is that the last three games have proven that the defense is good enough for us to be a, a, a contender. When If Ben comes back and is healthy and the offense continues where it was pre-Ben's injury, defensively we have progressed to a point where a loss to the Cardinals means nothing. It is a, it is not an AFC game. It's not a divisional game. It's a, it's almost a nothing loss. Um, and we go right back to where we were pre-injury when, when Ben gets back. Well, that's a little disappointing to hear, Tony. I think you said that the last two games, too. Oh, this is a throwaway game. We're just going to lose this game. I don't care. I did. I, I keep saying that. It's my new, it's yes, my go-to. It's your go-to. But I think that, um, I actually think that Vic got better at the end. I think he just started gaining a little confidence, and I think that's what he needed. And that's what I'm going to hang my hat on is that he's going to come into this game feeling like he helped the team win that game because he did down the stretch, and he's going to just play with confidence. Like I think that going into the last two games, he kind of felt like I'm kind of this backup quarterback, and I'm not even really part of the team because I just got on the team seven weeks ago. Right. And now now they're really counting on me not to screw up, basically, because they have a good team. So once he gets the confidence and feels more part of the team, I guess, I think that's going to help. Maybe reading the plays and executing them properly, too, will help, too. <laughs> yeah. But I also think that uh, we're going to have a Martavis Bryant sighting. And and uh, you remember the long pass in the preseason to him from Michael Vick. Absolutely. So, Hopefully, um, hopefully we'll see some of that. So that's another way that I think that they're gonna, they're gonna contend offense, you know, our offense against their defense. And also maybe we'll see a little bit more of the Wildcat. I don't know how their defense is against the run. I need to look it up, but I gotta think that, uh, Le'Veon Bell's gonna have some success there as well. Yeah, I don't even, it's a, to me, it does, you know, Le'Veon's gonna, you know, Le'Veon's gonna do Le'Veon things. I think Le'Veon's gonna, Le'Veon has proven at this point like he's, he's just gonna be a beast no matter who he plays. Did you see when he got in the open field, especially down the sidelines, where he's making some of those 
cuts. I mean, it's just amazing. It's un, it's really unbelievable to watch him play. To watch, to watch, yeah, the way that he's able to not just do the cut, but how quickly he can make the cut and and reaccelerate past. Um, he made guys miss in this game where he just made them look silly. And we got to say it again because we haven't said it in a while. But hats off to Colbert and whoever's drafting that they picked him over over, over Lacy. I mean, Lacy's still good, but. At the time, we I think we wanted Lacey because we wanted the big back in Jerome Bettis. But how they saw, I don't even know if they saw what Le'Veon had. Right. In, I don't. If they I, expected this. Right. I don't think you can predict that he's going to be this good. You can predict he's going to be good. You can even predict he's going to be better than Lacey, which they clearly thought both of those things. Um, and I think I think it wasn't even better than Lacey. I think they thought he was going to be more versatile to, than Lacey, which again he is. They are, they were right. He's a much better receiver. He, he's a much better asset in all parts of the offense. Than Lacey is, um, but no, I don't think you could predict that he was gonna because he has a real love for the game and a real need to be great. And you see that you know the way that he continues to condition himself and the improvement that he made from his rookie year to his second year where he lost all that weight and he got quicker, faster, and now going into this year, same thing again. Now it's just I mean he's just ripping off 100 yard games like it's nothing. You know, I, mean, I think he's had 100 yards. Is it is it 100 yards in all three? He may. You know, remember, yeah, this is the guy who didn't have 100 yards in his rookie year until until the end of the season. It was, it was They said he has a touchdown in all three. But I, I put him, this may be premature, but I definitely put him as the type of back of an Emmett Smith, Thurman Thomas, Marshall Falk. I mean, he's that type of yeah. do-it-all, receiving, in on every play. You can count on him on any down. He's that type of back. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's great. Well, the league is noticing that. I, I already hear those comparisons to Thurman Thomas and, and all that. And, and he's, he's in the conversation as one of the best backs in the league now. Um, I think the decision to draft him is that he, he, he fit the style of offense that the Steelers wanted to play um, at that time. Yeah. And obviously he does. Um, and it's no secret that uh, yours truly on this podcast, you know, I, I, you know, you drag me into this style offense, kicking and screaming the whole way. It's a, it's an exciting offense, um, and uh, and it's and it, it's working. Um, and this guy, this guy is like you just said, he's better than anybody thought he could be. Uh, and you but know, the idea that players turn out to be better than you thought they could be, you know, that that runs rampant through the NFL. And there's and for every one of them, there's a there's a there's a disappointment somewhere else. Um, Case in point is Antonio Brown, a sixth-round pick. Nobody thought he was going to be as good as he is. Nobody thought he was going to be anything close to as good as he is, and he is in the conversation as the best receiver in the league. How unlikely in this time when the when the tendency is to you know let's draft an eight-foot-tall receiver, um, right. and and you know he's nothing even close to that, right. and he he might be the most effective wide receiver in football. Well, I think I think it's an interesting time in in football right now. Because if you look around, you know, a lot of people have – there's a lot of complaints about this year of football, right? This this particular year is a down year for the NFL, right? There aren't strong teams in the NFL this year. And I think you look up and down the NFL, and I think that that's true, right? And one thing that, you know, everyone goes back to is, you know, there's just not a lot of good quarterbacks, right? Where quarterbacking the NFL is, is taking a significant downward uh, trajectory over the last couple of years. And I think this is the year where it really is starting to manifest itself where, you know, you look at teams like, you know, even the teams that have winning records like the Jets or the Bills or, um, 
God, I mean, no one even has a winning record in the NFL. So, you know, but even though, like, those, just take those two teams, right, which are the only two teams in the AFC besides us that have winning records uh, but are not undefeated. Well, they're not division winners or division leaders, right? Um, those, those two teams can't win. They can't win the Super Bowl. They're, they're automatically disqualified because Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tyrod Taylor are never going to win a Super Bowl. It's not going to happen, right? Um, and then, you know, you go back, you go over to the NFC and it's like Matthew Stafford and Teddy Bridgewater and Jay Cutler and the, and the NFC North, right? They're all bad. You know, none of those guys are good quarterbacks. You know, you got all these quarterbacks hurt. Got, got teams like the Redskins who are winning, but it's like Kirk Cousins. Who is Kirk Cousins? He's not good. Um, Drew Brees has taken a huge step backwards. Peyton Manning does, looks like a complete shell of himself. Um, and you know, the NFL has taken a whole a huge step down, but the Steelers, somehow, some way, the Steelers have this, all of a sudden we have what's got, who's gotta be, you know, just, just by the, the laws of attrition here, Ben Roethlisberger is probably, is definitely a top five quarterback. And he's probably top three. In fact, he's probably number three behind Rodgers and Brady um, at this point. And then you have the best running back in football and the best wide receiver in football. Uh, you know, offensively, it's like, it's unbelievable how we ended up with so much talent just on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, it's it's why it's why I, it's why I'm saying when we go back to talking about you know, talk, talk about Arizona, it's why I'm saying we can lose this game. We can lose. It's fine. Doesn't you know a, an NFC game against Arizona doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. They're, the NFL is not strong this year. It is not a good year for the NFL, but it is a good year to be a Pittsburgh Steeler, right? It is a good year for us because if um, conspicuously did not speak about Johnny Football, no, I did not. Uh, Andy Dalton. Well, we can get to Andy Dalton. We will we will talk about the Bengals on this podcast or Joe Flacco. No, Joe Flacco's awful this year. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, you go through these, te- I mean, it's just, it's so crazy. You go through these teams, like, Kansas City Chiefs, Alex Smith, awful, awful this year. Philadelphia Eagles, oh, Sam Bradford, and Chip Kelly, Sam Bradford, Chip Kelly, awful, awful. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick, terrible. Russell Wilson can't, he, even if he was good this year, he can't get the th- a throw off because his offensive line's so bad. Um, you know, the NFL has taken a huge step, this, this is my point. The NFL has taken a huge step backwards this year, just in terms of quality of play, right? Just in terms of the quality of the teams that are out there. No one's talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers right now. Zero people are because Ben Roethlisberger is hurt. No one is talking about the defense. No one is talking about our defense. No one. Yet, when we get healthy, I couldn't name three teams right now that scare me. You know, I, I couldn't name, well, I couldn't name more than three teams right now that really scare me when we start talking about the best teams in the NFL. Who really scares you as a Steeler fan? If we're talking about we get Ben back, we don't lose Bell, we don't lose Brown, right? Who really scares you in the NFL right now? Who's really like, oh, no, this, I don't know if the Steelers can beat them. I don't know. You know? I, I couldn't I agree. No one scares us. But you have to have wins to get in the playoffs. And if you lose to Arizona and then even if you – let's say uh, let's say we beat Kansas City and then lose to Cincinnati. I mean, we're, we're racking up too many losses and then you get Ben back and sure, you shouldn't lose again, but you're going to lose one or two games with Ben. Just uh, flukeness right. could happen. So but if I, you end up with yeah. six losses – you may not get in. Well, that's I see, and that's what that's I, what you're saying. Right, you're saying, saying that the teams losses, aren't good enough. Yeah, I think six, six losses, losses get you in. You know, yeah. that's why I'm saying like, just, you know, I think nine and seven gets you in the AFC. Maybe it's just such a bad year for the NFL. Well, there's well, going to be it, you know something. Some teams yeah, are. Yeah, you're probably going to get hate mail after I say this. Uh, it serves the NFL right. It does because the NFL for I don't know 40 years now has overemphasized the forward pass 
in, in football. It's all about the forward pass. They've changed the rules to make it for the forward pass. All the rules favor offense. And now the, 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 the defenses keep, you know, it's an arms race. They keep trying to figure out ways to mess up these quarterbacks. So it's harder than ever now to play quarterback in the NFL, but it is so important to the game that you have a quarterback that can play the position proficiently because if he can't, right. you have no game to watch. You have, you have, you have all, all this, this mediocrity that you've been describing, Tony. Right. And, and really the game of football is more than, it used to be more than passing, but now it's all about throwing the ball down the field and you need somebody that knows how to do, play that position. It's harder than ever to do it. And there are very few people that can do it. Uh, well, and, I think, Joe, I think it's, I think it's not only that it's harder. I think, I agree with you. I, I think it's both though. I think it is, it is both far harder and far easier to throw the ball, right? If you are a bad quarterback in the NFL, it is far harder now because of the way defenses play. To, to be a good quarterback, to be a, an average but still good quarterback. But at the same token, if you are a great quarterback with the way the rules are now, it is far easier to put up huge numbers, right? And so you have a league now where it is the haves and have-nots. You either have a good quarterback and you can win a Super Bowl or you don't, and you are just you are destined to be a, a losing team or, or out of the playoffs early. Well, I, okay, so you're, you're kind of leading into where I wanted to go with this, which is which is to say that the, the learning curve to play quarterback because the position is so complicated, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Ben gets there, right? And Ben, now, now it's, it's easy for Ben. He gets, comes out, goes 400 yards every week, he's gonna throw up some six touchdowns back to back weeks. And, and it's just like, wow, I got all these weapons and I know where to throw the ball. I know where to go with it. And, and it's, it's like anything else that you've learned maybe on your job, in your career that is so complicated when you first look at it. And then, and then through professionalism and, and hard work and study and you just keep going and going and going, all of a sudden you can look at, you can look at a situation and you can diagnose it in a second. You know exactly what to do. You don't have to think about it. It comes to you instinctually. To get there, to get to that level now takes longer than at any other time in, in, his, in the history of football. Um, for the for the quarterback, and I and I and I've, I've been thinking this about Vic. I mean, this this is the problem. He he comes in, and it's so complicated to to understand just this team. This guy already knows how to play quarterback in the NFL, but just to learn this system for it to become second nature and instinctual, like it is for Ben, is it it's so far off. You can never hope that he would get there as a backup. Um, and, and that's what's going on with all these other quarterbacks. If you don't have the, if you don't have the raw talent, probably most of them do. Um, but then you've got to have the mental capacity. You've got to be on a team that has the, has the right coaching, the right weapons, um, the right receivers and that to throw to, uh, to, to get there. It, 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 it's, I mean, when you talk about the great quarterbacks, none of them are new. None of them. Maybe, maybe luck and luck isn't really having Yeah, maybe, or exactly. I was just going to say that. Maybe luck. Maybe. We're not even sure. The last yeah, but, great quarterback but, is Aaron Rodgers. Right. And, but he's been in the league for too long. For it's too many long years for the, now. yeah, it's too long for right? the NFL. So there are no young guys. That's really what you're saying. There's no young guys coming up. Well, they might be coming up. It's just going to take them longer. There's a lot of young guys, but yeah, they, they don't have the experience yet. Right. And I think another thing that, that, you know, and, and this was written about a couple weeks ago, and I found it just a fascinating topic that I had, I had, I had thought about back when the spread offense in, in college became a, became so prevalent. I thought, this is so weird because, you know, it's like the point of college is to teach you your profession, right? But the spread offense 
does not translate at all to the pros, right? No one in the NFL runs the spread. Um, it's, you know, it, you need quarterbacks. And college is becoming this spread, 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 spread. Well, this is written about. I mean, this was actually written about. They, they interviewed coaches and, and general managers who said, college, it is so hard now to find uh, and, uh, to find college quarterbacks who understand pro-style concepts. You know, they have to dump – you know, the, the, and, and I'll, I'll link this article on the website and I'll put it on Facebook and Twitter so people can read it because I think it's fascinating to, to hear coaches and general managers talk about, you know, when they talk to these kids and who are the, the big stars in, in college, right, the Bryce Petties and, you know, the guys who you hear about, um, you know, leading teams to, to the playoffs in their conference titles. They don't know the NFL. They don't know the NFL systems at all. They don't know how to read defenses, right? They go through their progressions by you go to this guy, you go to that guy, and that's it, right? It's not about okay if it's this coverage, then you go here, and then it's a timer right over here. It's like no, 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 just drop back, go here, here, and or run, right? And that's it. That's your whole offense. And then they come to the NFL, and everything's completely different. And like you said, Joe, uh, you know, it, it's just a confluence of all these things of like you know because the game has become so. Offensively set, and the defense have had so much catching up to do that they become so sophisticated now, and now offenses have become so sophisticated with all the new rules that they can do. And you know, and it's just like, okay, if you have a great quarterback, you are a great team. But if you don't have a good quarterback, you're, you're awful. And and now they have this pressure on rookie quarterbacks where you can't just come in and you can't pull a Chad Pennington anymore. You can't pull an Aaron Rodgers, right? People forget Aaron Rodgers sat for two years. He didn't play a down for two years while Brett Favre decided if he wanted to retire or not. Um, then he played and he was great. Now, every single quarterback who's a rookie, if you are drafted in the first, you know, two rounds of the draft, and certainly the first round, you play from day one. Um, and it's just, you know, you, and that's why I, I think those are the reasons why you haven't seen the next great NFL quarterback. He just is, he doesn't exist right now. May take yeah, three the years. Other, the other quick thing on that is Ben came in the league and played as a rookie, but what did he play on? What kind of team did he play on? A passing team? No, he played beside Jerome Bettis. Okay, and on the on the best running team in football, is there a great running team in football anymore? Which is exactly the point I was making. It serves the NFL right. They overemphasize the forward pass so much that they've legislated. They've made running the football irrelevant um, as, yeah, that- as much as it can be. And and so quarterbacks have to be great. And if they're not great, you don't have a contender. And they and they really wrecked. They put a wrecking ball through through uh, Pete uh, Rosell's dream of parity in the league. We may have we may have the biggest polarity in the league um, since since before the seventies. I agree. Could be that's a that's something good to notice or to note there. One thing that um I think is interesting is that they the NFL made the rules for the offense because they're excited about the the forward pass and these great pass plays. But a lot of these plays and you talked about the offenses being so complex and hard to learn, and the good quarterbacks can learn them. Some of these quarterbacks, like the Patriots especially. It's not, it's not just the, uh, it's the plays. It's all these rub routes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, someone talked about the Patriots run these rub routes so perfectly and they get you guys, these small guys like Edelman wide open and then they can run for 20 yards after the catch. And then also the wide receiver screen, they're throwing a, a pass that's basically at the line of scrimmage and two wide receivers or guards pulling. They're blocking while the ball's in the air. I think that's legal if the, if the pass is behind the line of scrimmage. Some, there's something mm-hmm. like that where you yeah. can start blocking early. And it's like that's not those aren't even forward pass plays where you're doing a rub route or a or a wide receiver screen. So, I mean, the these coaches and the complexity of the offense, I think it's taken away from the game somewhat that you can gain eight yards on a on these weird plays that aren't really a true forward pass. Well, it's a, you know, and it's one of those things though of like 
knowing, you know, Brady and these top guys knowing when to when to check into that, when to check out of that, when when is a when is a pick play going to work? Are they playing man here? Or are they playing zone? If I'm playing zone, I don't, you know, pick play is not going to work at all here, right? But does you know does Jameis Winston know to check into the pick play because they're running man to man versus they're running zone? Hell no, he doesn't, right? No, of course not. Neither does Mariota. Neither does any of these young quarterbacks. But none of them are given that freedom yet. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it's it, you know, it is it is so easy for those. You know, you watch the best offenses in the league, and it is so easy for them to move the ball. And you watch the other good teams, and it's just like it's you know, every single first down is a challenge. Um, yeah. And okay, this this segues into our next topic, which is uh, you know, we just we just spent an entire segment talking about. Only good quarterbacks can win, and yet we have this 5-0 and team staring us in our own division, led by none other than Andy Andy Dalton. Andy can't win in the playoffs. I choke in December, Dalton. Uh, are we t- are we ready to believe in this Bengals team yet, or are we still on uh, are we still on hold? I think you're on hold until the playoffs. I mean, I think I think they're a good team. I think their offense looks good. I haven't seen much of their defense. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there, you can't, you, the jury is not gonna come in until they have a playoff game. And it's not gonna, the season's not gonna be successful for, for them until they win a playoff game. I don't think Marvin Lewis has ever won a playoff game, is that That's true? He's 0-6, and Dalton's 0-4. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I actually think it could happen this year. So I mean, it's gotta happen game? sooner or later, yeah. I don't think it has to happen. I don't think it has to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it will happen probably this year because the because they're going to end up playing the Bills or somebody. But you know, hey, if they end up playing us, if it's if it's Steelers, and I'm hoping it is because you know that's the path I want. Um, you know, they, they got problems there. I, I'm with you. I'm not ready to believe in both. Uh, uh, Mike said exactly what I was going to say, which is no, the jury stays out till the playoffs. You know, the jury comes back at the in the playoffs. Uh, with these but, guys. Okay, um, but how, so, how many? So Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton is, so the question is, is Andy Dalton a great quarterback because he's 5-0, right? Is that right. because only, well, good, yeah, only good quarterbacks can win in the NFL? Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, I think, I think, I think Andy Dalton is a good quarterback he, and he's, and he's been in that system long enough now that he's ahead of the curve, right? He's ahead of that curve we just described. He's not a new quarterback. He's not a deer in the headlights. He, he he understands a lot of this stuff, and he and he's been on the same team, same system, same coach. There's a lot to be said for that, right? And it and it's working, and it's showing, it's showing up in wins. Um, and and so now you say, okay, well, can they can they carry it into the playoffs? I say no. I say no, and and I'll tell you why. Um, I I think it does. It all hinges on the quarterback. It all hinges on on Andy Dalton. Is is Andy Dalton? You know, it's like the kicker conversation we had before. Can you handle the pressure? Can you handle that? You're going to get more and more and more pressure. And and over and over again, these guys have demonstrated they cannot. And I don't think it's just Andy Dalton. I think it's the coaching staff over there. You're not 0-6 in the playoffs for nothing. I mean, sooner or later, the odds got to catch up with you unless you're unless you're doing something wrong to wreck your odds. Um and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of weak uh, teams in the playoffs that you could, you know, that you could draw from and pick on. Um, and, you know, so are the, are the Bengals just unlucky that they don't draw one of these weak teams or are they one of the teams that don't belong in the playoffs every year? Um, and, uh, I think they're the latter. I do. Um, and I, I think, they, I, yeah, I, I think the Steelers take them out in the end. Um, how many games is too many to be behind this team? Though? I give two or no, three. Two's okay. 
I, you might even be able to catch them at they three. They're five and zero oh now, right? So there's only uh, what is eleven games left, right? Right? Yeah, so but are they going to go six and five in the next eleven but look, games? If, no, if we, not. It, no, but if we sweep them and they lose one more game than we lose, then we got them. We got them, yeah. Uh, so you can be on three behind them. Do, you know, do we beat? Do we? Can we? Can we beat Arizona? Can we beat? Uh, so how many games were Bauer two games behind? We're two them games now? back right now. Okay, so you're saying lose to Arizona, beat Kansas City, and then sweep them. I'm just saying, yeah, you could be three games behind them as long as you haven't played them yet, and then the mindset has to be you have to sweep them because if you split, then you may not win the tiebreaker even if you yeah, catch them. Yeah, puts a lot of pressure on us because we swept them last year. Yeah. Um, so we have to beat them four. You have to beat them four times in a row. I want to say one more thing about you touched on the quarterback. Like the first step is learning it. Just the way Andy Dalton, he's learned the offense. He's comfortable now. He could check in and out of plays. He's comfortable. And the second step is what you touched on, or the second level of being a great quarterback is can you perform in the clutch? And that's what he hasn't proved yet. Well, he did. And guys like Aaron Rodgers and guys like that, they have. Yeah, I mean, he to give Dalton some credit. And I know the Seahawks haven't been the same Seahawks this year. Not giving Dalton credit on this podcast in the regular season. This is a I, I, I'm just saying. I, I mean, I'm just saying. As long as you know, I mean, he. Did, I'll give him. You know that win this week against Seahawks. I mean, that was they were down twenty-seven to seven. Um, That's true. I'll, I'll give you that. That it's sometimes you can't have a great playoff win until you've experienced some great regular season wins. And we've talked about Steeler great regular season wins that that you know the season two thousand eight they built on those and that's right. what took them through the playoffs. Right. But the other thing, the one other excuse for Andy Dalton is, and I've heard, I haven't really researched it, but in the playoff games, last couple of playoff games they've had, they haven't, ha- they have had injuries, and they haven't had their top players, uh, like a- is it a- AJ Green, AJ Green, yeah, uh, playing at their top level. You know, you need, you need. I mean, not only does Andy Dalton need to play at the top level in a playoff game, but so do the other guys. Yeah. You can't blame it all on him. Although he has, he has a terrible stat line in the playoffs. Um, way more turnovers and touchdowns, um, low completion percentage. So, I mean, yeah, some of that. I think some of it is on. You know, you can. I think you can put some of it on. Hey, you know, maybe you didn't have your your top guys, but look at what you know. You look at what Vic did these last couple weeks, right? You know, Vic. Vic is. You know, Vic's not a good quarterback. He's not. He's not turning the ball over. Well, let's hope it stays that way this yeah. week. Well, that's that is that is the key. Because these are the turnover kings of the league, aren't they? Uh, well, I think Denver is technically the turnover kings somebody's, of the league. Oh, it's Denver. That's what I was going to say. Somebody's at like plus 15 now or something. Well, I mean, then, you know, that defense needs it because ooh, Peyton That's Denver. Wow, well, that explains. So Denver is the good bad team, bro. I think, you know, I don't know. 15, well, you think your plus 15 is going to hold up? Come on, you're five games in, so you're going to get three. So by the end of the season, this this team is going to be at like plus 48 to keep this up. Right, Wait, they're plus 15 in turnover ratio? I think they're. Plus. I think that's what what we saw on a stat while watching their. Because life. I mean, they've turned it over themselves a lot. Yeah, I don't. Think I could see them having a lot of takeaways. I don't think they're plus fifteen, Joe, but I think they've just taken it away a bunch. They've yeah, taken it. They take. Yeah, they, they're actually only plus six because Manning's turned the ball over. Manning's thrown seven interceptions this year. Um, yeah, they they have fourteen takeaways, but they have given the ball away eight times. So they have a difference of six, but fourteen is the most in the NFL. And so what's the um, Arizona's right behind them with thirteen. Thirteen, but what's their what's their? Oh, Arizona's yeah. differential is also six. Uh, if you look at Denver's schedule, I mean, to talk about the good bad team, Denver's schedule has been ooh maybe ooh maybe uh, beat the Ravens uh, week one, who we now know are not good. Beat the Chiefs uh, on the last play of the game, 
on a weird one, uh, who we now know are not good. The Lions, who we now know are the worst team in the NFL. The Vikings, who I don't know. I don't know what to think about the Vikings yet. And then they beat the Raiders this week. Who are you talking? That was Wait, the Chiefs? Raiders are pretty good. That's Denver's Denver. Denver schedule. Oh, Denver. Uh, they're, they're, I mean, look, two of those are division teams, Oakland and uh, and Kansas City. So, you know, the Kansas City played them tough. Come on. You know, it's a division game. They always play them tough. Yeah. Yeah. And Oakland's pretty good this year. O- Oakland's not terrible, which is weird because, I mean, you know, it's just it just speaks to how stupid the NFL is this year. Um, yeah, I mean, Denver might be the good or bad team. I don't know. I look at the NFC South, those two undefeated teams, and I'm like, I mean, is there Atlanta, they're for real? Are they really for real? And Carolina, are you really for real? I don't think Carolina I don't think is really. I don't think Carolina's for real. But I think, I don't know, maybe Atlanta's for real. Carolina's beaten Jacksonville, Houston, New Orleans, Tampa Bay. I mean, you know, they, it's not like they've – and their their game against New Orleans, they won by five against their backup quarterback. So, they, you know, they really haven't beaten it. But then again, as we just said, who is there to beat in the NFL right now? Yeah, who are the somebodies? Yeah, who are the somebodies? Who did you who who did who have teams beaten that are really the qual you know the quali- the most quality win all year is St. Louis beating Arizona. That's the biggest quality win all year. What's that, what's our most quality win? Uh I don't even know. Is it St. Louis? Beating Maybe it's Rams? going to San Diego. Going to San Diego? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Our biggest our biggest win is only the Patriots only scored twenty eight against us. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, you can legitimately say that that was uh, a real feat. They've put up, since then, they put up 40, 51, and 30. <clears throat> so, uh, here's the thing that I was thinking through both of the Ravens game and the San Diego game. Because they were close, both of the games were close, mm-hmm. and, and the Steelers are so diminished. They're such a different team without Ben at, at quarterback. Um, as would, you know, the, the, the Packers would be and the, and the Patriots would be two of the other top. And, and as we saw, the Cardinals were last year without um, Carson. Um, so you take the quarterback away from these, pretty much any of the top teams in the league, and they're completely different teams. And so here, here, here are the Steelers these last two weeks, play a tight game against the Ravens, play a tight game against, against the Chargers. Now this week they have to face, um, the Cardinals without Ben again. And I just look at these teams, and I and I, I I couldn't help thinking during the game, you you assholes, you Charger fan assholes, and you Ravens <laughs> dumbbags, um, you are so lucky that you're playing. Off the, we would beat you by fifty if Ben were if Ben could get up off the bench now. We could still put fifty up on you assholes. Okay. You're you're like nothing. You're like little gnats on our. Why are you schedule. kicking on their fans? Wow, yeah, I don't, the, I don't know why. why he's, he's going hard I'm on, the fans, on the fans. I'm pissed off. Okay, <laughs> pissed off that my team's going through. Like, I'm like, this is a this is a Super Bowl caliber team, and now I got a defense. I didn't think I was gonna have a defense. Okay, it's like a surprise Christmas in October. Okay, I got the Steeler fan gets a defense. Um, you know what's frustrating? Really wasn't expecting. Okay, and 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 my. My freaking offense that I didn't even want, it's unbelievable. It's like the best offense in the league is, is like sidelined right now. Yeah, they're sidelined. And you guys are the beneficiaries of it, okay? And, and I'm going to tell you something else. I'll tell you another team who I think of like that. Because I gotta just go, look, Chargers, if you manage to get yourselves in the playoffs and run into us with Ben, okay, you're going down. You're going down so fast. Don't even put the game on, okay? Don't fix yourself a sandwich or nothing because the game will be over before it starts. Um, and And – I'll tell you something else. Uh, these Patriots, 
these Patriots who think they got us in the in the first week. You know, I didn't care about watching that game. I hated that game. I, that was just a it was just a Steeler loss from the get go. Okay? The Brady return game. It was the it was just the crappiest thing that could have happened to the Steelers. It was the worst start of a season. The most lack. The most disinterested opening to a season. I watched that game under protest. I didn't even want to watch it, but I watched it because I watch all the games. Uh, and I just think I think the same thing of them them Patriots. You 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 cheater fans. You or you're lucky that you played us under those circumstances. Because when when we meet you guys again, I know we will. When we meet you guys again, whether it's in Foxborough or whether it's at Heinz Field, you guys are going down. You're going down. Um, and I, I just think the Steelers can beat anybody in the league uh, with this team, uh, especially the way the defense is 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 progressing. And if the defense starts to feed off the offense like the old defenses used to, it's just it's just going to be hell to pay. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Uh, so all of that being said, unless you guys want to comment on that, no, I mean I think that's that's where I th- that's where I am. I want to say one thing. Go, I want to say that it, it's been it's frustrating. Well, here's the thing. You guys mentioned how many bad quarterbacks are in the league, right? Or not good quarterbacks? Twenty. There's Twenty. Here the Steelers are. We're, we don't have our quarterback. But we're playing, we have to just, we just played three games where we got the third game coming up and we're playing basically against good quarterbacks. You know, these are established quarterbacks in Flacco, Rivers, and now, um, who are we playing this week? Carson Palmer. Carson Palmer. Yeah. So it's like we couldn't, we couldn't catch a, you know, one of these rookies coming up or, right. or somebody scrambling to find a quarterback. Yeah, now would be a good quarterback time to play shuffle. Cal- yeah, Colin Kaepernick would be, you know, yeah. shuffle that 49ers game in here. Yeah. Houston, or, where they can't pick a quarterback. Right, exactly. Exactly. No, we gotta, we gotta. Or how about Hasselbeck? Could we, we could have played the Colts now. I'd play Hasselbeck. Yeah. Although Hasselbeck actually doesn't look terrible. Hey, Joe, you mentioned cheating, so I'll transition to, I mean, the 18 seconds off the clock after the kickoff. Yes. I mean, come on. They, they, these clock operators I heard are local guys from the stadium or from that area. Right. If it wasn't on purpose, it was an accident that they were, they were like, well, we'll just wait till the refs see if they notice. And if they don't, we'll just don't, you know, we're not going to say anything. I'm, I don't want to put it back on because I made a mistake. I don't know, man. It just seems kind of fishy to me. It was very fishy. It, it, I mean, it is. And the NFL came out and said, ah, it's the ref's fault. The refs, the refs should have caught it. A, they were going to, we're going to, whatever they're going to do to the clock operator. Yeah, you can't work a game anymore. <laughs> okay, whatever. And then the refs should have caught it. Um, it's a weird thing though. You would think they would have a better system than like I, I thought they, they the refs used to keep tr- keep time on the field. It's not just the clock, not just some dude from San Diego keeping keeping clock. That's true. Because the ref was always... the official time. I thought the official time was kept on the field. It is clearly not because we lost eighteen seconds. It's not anymore, but it used to be. It used to be because there. Were, I remember when I, I maybe oh, the refs I'm, always used like, to say too long ago. But Mike, don't you remember this? Yeah. many years ago. You'd, you'd have a, uh, an official looking at his watch or looking at something on his person and telling the clock operator how much time to put on the clock. Yep. Right. Yeah. I think that kind of still happens today. So maybe they, maybe they sync their clock up to the, to the stadium clock every now and then. I think then. they only call it on the field if there's a clock error. Like if the clock stops working. Maybe if they notice it or something. Then they start doing <laughs> it on their. Or if they just think you let it run too long, like after a play. Like he's like, okay, I stopped it here, right. and you let it go eight seconds yeah, too long, so put some time back. To, yeah, reset the clock. Hey, so, so, or if there's a penalty or something weird. But in yeah. this case, there was nothing weird, and so maybe he – They just ran 18 know. seconds off. And by the way, Steeler Depot wrote the world's dumbest article this week. I love the site, but I have to call him out for this. 
they wrote an article said Tomlin should stop trusting uh, the refs to 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 uh, to check the correct time, as if Tomlin's supposed to like keep a friggin' play chart of like. Did well, you hear what Tomlin said in his press conference on the, I mean, on he, that yeah, subject? He, he gave zero shits about it. But he he basically said, "Look, I'm not gonna." I'm not going to check the clock operator. I'm not going to check the concessions to make sure they're doing their job. Right. Yeah. It's so. <laughs> well, okay. So, so here's the thing about this. I don't know that it was cheating or what, it was just a dumb mistake. Okay. Um, if it, if it was cheating, well, it blew up in their face. Um, and if it was a dumb mistake, well, they they cost their team a shot at at, at uh, you know at, at coming back uh, because. Add 18 seconds onto the clock. There's 23 seconds remaining. Tomlin still runs that ball, makes that score, takes five or six seconds off the clock. There's 17 seconds to go. Okay. Yeah, we probably and, actually run that clock before the two minute warning. If we're it depending, looking at how the plays went before, because they ran the ball twice. That's what someone pointed out. Like it wouldn't matter because we ran two plays before the two minute warning, right? right? Right. And then it then it was two minute warning. We probably would have still run two plays. Right. We would have just run Running two. Yeah. But and yeah, no, you're right, Joe. If, if it, you know, we could have, if there's 18 more seconds at the end, then yeah, then it didn't work out for them. They screwed them. Then it doesn't work out because this, you know, the, so the Steelers have the luxury of missing and kicking the extra point to tie it or kicking the field goal to tie it. Um, and call, you know, and calling that last time out. Um, and, but if they score, then they have to kick it off and San Diego gets at least a chance to return it and maybe they get a chance to throw a long pass. Um, yeah, they because they have to get end zone at that point. They didn't get that. Um, well, but they didn't get their chance. That's the point. That's true. Yeah, if it's eighteen more seconds at the end of the game. You guys are saying maybe it wouldn't be, uh, but if it were, if that's the argument that there should have been eighteen more seconds, well, the the Chargers shot themselves in the foot. The yeah, the, well, it's the, not, yeah, the clock for the, for the Chargers. Yeah, but so it's not only the Steelers that possibly could have gotten screwed. The Chargers did get screwed. As it turned out, right. If it was cheating, sure, the the Chargers have the lead. Let's take the time away from the Steelers so that they don't have enough time to score. Okay, so it makes sense. Leave it, let the clock run. Nobody notices. If, if I'm a cheater, I'm not saying they are. Um, then, uh, yeah, I just I'd like to know where uh, Brady's whereabouts at that mind at that moment. <laughs> then I'll let you know if I really thought they were cheating. But uh, no, I I, I think um, I. I if you were trying to cheat, that's what you would do. You would let the clock run, and and then as at the as it turned out at the end, uh, you would have you would have you would have taken away any little chance your team might have had of of uh, pulling that out at the end. So, yeah. uh, much it, ado about very. Little. I think yeah, the eighteen second thing only really comes into play if the Steelers had ended up losing that game. Um, then you can, but the fact that we won, who cares? I mean, we would have just run the clock anyway. Yeah. Um. And and it did set up. I mean, to they said that was like one of the only games since like 1980 or 70 that ended on a running play in regular in regulation, whereas a walk off on a rushing play in regulation that hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah, and that's exciting. That it was not only the Steelers, but it was Le'Veon Bell, and we talked about him being you know a star in the league, and everyone's noticing, and you know a, a big player to come up in a big moment like that. That's cool. Jeff Fisher could tell you about an almost walk off running play. Oh no, that was a pat. Was that a pass play? That was a pass. It play. was a pass play, yeah. And that would have just been to tie the game. Too. Yeah, yeah, that was just yeah. Oh, that was going to send the game into overtime. Okay, and then there was another one that was that should have been a run play that in a Steeler history, nineteen ninety 
four, I think. Steelers miss a trip to the playoffs. Against um, the Chargers of all teams. Chargers of all teams. McKayer, uh gets gets caught, and, and the Chargers score an unbelievable touchdown late, late in the game, and they take the lead. And then uh, Neil O'Donnell drives the team down to the other end zone, and they're in their their goal to go. Time is running out, and they and he throws a pass that gets knocked away instead of running the ball. Um, so maybe that one could have been a walk off uh, running play to go to the Super Bowl, um, but didn't happen. Didn't happen. All right. Um, anything else before we wrap this thing up? I think I think that's going to do it for Steelers. Uh, we didn't do score predictions. I guess I, I guess we should go real quickly around and do score predictions. I'm predicting a loss. I mean, you guys knew I was going to. I have to. Um, I think defensively, we you know we could we're going to put some some pressure on uh, on Palmer. We're gonna we're gonna make him earn it. Uh, I think you know we're probably going to give up you know a couple touchdowns, a couple field goals. Uh, offensively, you know it's going to be rough, and I think the problem here is turnovers. Um, you can't you just can't afford to turn the ball over, and I I just don't see any way around this game. Uh, being that game where you know kind of the the dam breaks and and uh, the turnovers start, the bad luck starts hitting us, not just on on field goals. Uh, so I got the Cardinals winning, you know, probably you know twenty seven to ten, twenty seven to thirteen, something like that. Okay, not Steelers, even close. Steelers win. Uh, Steelers win because uh, Palmer is not. Uh, he's a good quarterback. He's not as good as Rivers. He's not. One of the top quarterbacks, just a good quarterback. Get the he can get the job done, uh, but he's not going to get the job done against the Steelers because the Steelers know what Bruce Arians wants to do offensively, much more so than Bruce knows about the new Steelers that have completely changed offensively and defensively since he since he moved on to Arizona uh, or moved on to uh, Indianapolis, I should say, and then eventually to Arizona. Uh, so. So we have the advantage there, but the, but I think that the difference is going to be, uh, Mike Vick's going to play better. He's going to play better this week. Um, I think he, I think his development, his confidence was shaken by the loss. Not so much that it was his fault, the loss to the Ravens, but just that bitter loss. Um, even though it really was attributable to kicking and, you know, and I was, I attributed some of it to the, um, Crazy coaching, deci- crazy coaching decisions to continue to rely on bad kicking and let the Ravens back in the game. Um, so I think that helped, that, that hurt Vic coming into this game. The way this game, the way the Chargers game ended is a gigantic confidence boost, uh, to, for Vic. And, and I think, um, I think so one of you guys mentioned it earlier. They got, they got, they got to see what, what Vic did well and what he struggled with. Uh, and hopefully the coaches will respond to that. Um, and, and, uh, I think they will, and I think they'll make the right adjustments offensively, and so we will get some offensive points. Defense will perform well, and, and Carson doesn't like getting hit, and we're gonna hit him, um, and he's a big baby about it when it happens. Uh, and so, the uh, Steelers win in Heinz Field, they win, uh, 23, 23 to, let's say 15. Mmm, nice comfortable win. Okay, I think the uh, Steelers' defense is going to pick up where they left off against the Chargers. They're going to attack Carson Palmer in that offense, and they're going to have a lot of success. But it's not going to be total success, meaning uh, the the Cardinals are going to get their yards and their touchdowns kind of the way we saw the Chargers. And I think, just like you said, Joe, the the offense 
I think it's going to improve just based on the confidence Vic has. Martavis coming back. I think maybe even more of the Wildcat. And I'm going to predict another close score. I've done that the last couple of weeks. I'm going to say 19 to 17. And this is how we get to 19. Wait till you hear this. We're going to get two touchdowns and two two point conversions because Tomlin knows when he gets close to the goal line, you got to get all the points you can get with this offense. So that's going to get us to 16 and a field goal will get us to 19. Love it. I love, I hope, and I hope it ends on a Boswell game winning field goal because that's what this team deserves. That's what the Steeler fans in Pittsburgh who are going to, are going to be there. They deserve it. Um, all right. So there you have it. Uh, two, you guys both predicting wins, although, uh, to be fair, uh, Mike and Joe have never predicted a Steeler loss. Uh, so it's maybe a little one sided in their prediction. Our predictions are three and two this season though, right? Yes, your predictions are three and two. My predictions, I think, are less than three and two because I, I, I predicted us to lose. No. Yeah, every game except San Francisco. <laughs> you got the Ravens lost, right? I believe. I got. Oh, that, no, I believe I'm. I believe. I believe. Oh yeah, I'm you perfect. got the. You would get the. You would got the Patriots lost. Correct. Hold on, I think I was perfect. I think yeah. I. I think I predicted it. I think I got three. I think I'm. I think I'm five and zero. Oh think you're week. five and zero. Oh? I predicted the Patriots. Lost. I think I you that. predicted a loss when we won. You didn't predict the Chargers a loss? No, remember I, I picked a blowout because I thought Bryant was going to play. How the hell you pick a blowout? All right, we might give you five now. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, guys. Appreciate that. All right, that's going to do it for Steeler Country this week. Thank you all for listening. If you want to leave feedback, SteelerCountry at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, the website is SteelerCountry.net. Uh, the Twitter is Twitter.com slash SteelerCountry. The Facebook is Facebook.com slash Podcast. You follow us or like us, you can listen to this podcast live Right now, we are live on YouTube, uh, so if you like us or follow us, uh, you'll get notifications there that, hey, we're live. Um, we record this every Tuesday night at 8 o'clock, although it's we're recording this on Wednesday because we had scheduling difficulties yesterday, a.k.a. the Cubs won and they won the NLDS, and I'm hyped. Um, all right, so we will see you next week for a recap of the Arizona Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, injury report, we didn't talk about it, but Ryan Chazier, uh, maybe he plays – Jarvis Jones sat out practice today, so maybe he doesn't play. That would be a big loss because that means uh, James Harrison and Bud Dupree see much more playing time than we do. We will see you next week.